One day a man and a woman meet and fall in love. But soon after the world fell plague to COVID-19. And due to the MCO, they're not able to meet. So like any millennial with a smartphone, they decide to keep in contact and vow to get married after all this is over with. And they are aware that this might take more than a few months. But since Malaysia was doing an exceptionally good job in handling the cases, the government granted us the CMCO and the pair decided to elope and move in together. And just like that, a new generation of babies were born nine months since the MCO started. This generation of babies are called the Coronials. It's interesting to think about the implications of the movement control order and the effect that it will have on some people in terms of starting families and in terms of generations that are born after and how they will live their lives. Hello and welcome to the Going Viral podcast. This is episode four and I'm joined by my dad, who is Dr. Dr. Suresh Chopra and we'll be asking him a few questions about COVID-19 from a medical perspective. Hi Dad, do you mind if I call you doctor? No, go ahead. All right, let's go. I'm just going to get straight into the matter at hand and dive straight into the questions. One question that one of my groupmates wants to know is, as someone who works in the medical field, do you go out onto the front lines? Well, the front lines are a little different in such a situation as this. You see, when you have a war, for example, you have a defined no man's land or front line. Here, the front lines are very wide. So in general, we refer to those who come into contact with public and who have a higher risk of contracting the infection to be the front lines. So if you look at a hospital, for example, we normally say that the accident emergency department and physicians, for example, who deal with respiratory cases or even the ENT surgeons would be at a higher risk. But actually the front line encompasses more than that. For example, if you look at the normal doctors who treat patients in the outpatient clinics, Even the surgeons, the pathologists, the laboratory technicians who handle hazardous material, those are also frontliners. So yes, to answer the question, yes, I am considered a frontliner, especially, for example, if there is an emergency case, somebody has an accident and comes in and we are not sure of his status, whether he is a carrier of COVID or not, or whether he's an asymptomatic patient. So we do have to take all the necessary precautions, yes. What precautions do you have to take daily? Well, the usual would include using uh, masks, hand sanitization, sanitization of the workplace, the office, for example, social distancing. But we also have some special things we do. For example, we we have divided ourselves into two teams. And you have one team working for a week and then they self-isolate themselves for the next one week while the other team comes on. This is so that in case somebody gets uh, is found to have contact with a patient who later turned out to be COVID-19 positive, then at least the entire team is not affected and work can carry on. We have had to reorganize our clinics. So outpatients uh, who are just coming for follow-up, for example, their contact time is decreased and they are sent straight off for medicine to pick up their medicine and then given an appointment at a later date. 
the outpatient waiting areas have had to be reorganized for social distancing. Uh, surgery patients have to be screened as far as possible and if necessary, tested. So those are some of the precautions that we do have to take. And when I'm performing surgery, for, I will have to use the personal protective equipment or in short, the PPE in order to prevent infection and transmission. Are there differences in precautions that the general person takes as compared to how medical personnel handle COVID-19? Uh, yes, of course, uh, because we deal with patients who are at a higher risk of uh, being positive. And uh, many of these patients will have a higher viral load. And it's been shown that patients with a higher viral load tend to transmit infections more easily. Add to that the fact that you're dealing with hazardous material, for example, as I mentioned, just now the pathologists, the yep. technicians. And for surgeons who are operating in procedures which produce a lot of aerosol, for yep. example, in orthopedics where we use high-powered instruments, they are at perhaps a slightly higher risk. But uh, we have sort of taken care of that by using the necessary protective equipment. Does it scare you at all, the potential risk of contracting COVID-19? Of course, there is a risk. But as we are in the medical field, it's our duty to handle the risk, to reduce it as much as possible and to provide, to continue to provide service to the public. So it's something that we have to do. What are your thoughts on the MCO changing to the current CMCO? Is it too early? Is it too risky? Is it going to prompt a second wave? Are we going to suffer the same fate as South Korea and Hong Kong by lifting the restrictions too early? What steps should the government have done instead? And if there were to be a second and more deadly wave, would we be able to cope? Well, firstly, let me emphasize that the Malaysian Health Ministry has performed a wonderful task in reducing the spread and minimizing death rates during this pandemic. We started off with having the third highest infection count in the region, and now we have one of the lowest transmission and death rates in the world. We employed what is called a targeted approach, where we performed very detailed contact tracing, we tested at-risk groups, we enforced strict quarantine measures, we made the public aware early of the dangers and precautions required. All of this while minimizing costs as we cannot afford to test everyone. Even if we tried to test everyone, we'd have to ask ourselves, which tests should we perform? How accurate are the tests? Are the patients in the window period? How often do we test them? Can we afford the expense of testing everybody in the present economic climate? Secondly, this pandemic is not going to go away suddenly. It's not going to disappear overnight. How long do we hold on before lifting some of the MCO restrictions, before we allow people some amount of freedom to carry out their, the activities they require for their daily life? The purpose of flattening the curve, what we have done so far, is to reduce admissions so that hospitals can cope and new patients can receive the best care, await the development of an effective vaccine, which we know might take one to two years, and perhaps to develop 
herd immunity, although we know that this is controversial. Yeah. Before recording this podcast, we were talking a little bit about the death rate worldwide and the recovery rate. Where do we stand in all this? There was a previous address given by our Director General, Dr. Nori Sham, where he stated that fatality rates are approximately 1.5% amongst the lowest in the world. And you can compare that with the with Italy and the United Kingdom, where it's about more than 10%, in fact. On the note of the pandemic lasting very long, when is the right time for students to go back home? Is it still too early? Well, we cannot lock down students for such long periods. In fact, we cannot stop all economic activities either for prolonged periods. If the public cannot manage, they will be forced to break the rules. Students need to undergo schooling. Not everyone has adequate internet access. The question now is, when do we start? Every country is looking at it. There is no definite answer. And whenever we do start, there is bound to be some disagreement among various parties. In general, once transmission rates are low, the public has sufficient awareness, children specifically are made aware, precautions are taken such as distancing, that's the correct time to start MCO. Example in Denmark. Uh, Will cases increase? Yes, possibly, transiently. We should be able to cope if the numbers are low. Nobody can predict with 100% certainty. But what I can tell you is that the Ministry of Health will take a decision based on facts and the best available evidence and they will advise us. We have to remember that the Ministry of Health has as much to lose as all of us if things go all right, and perhaps more because it's their own staff who are being exposed at the front lines. I noticed the other day when I went out to pack some food that uh, in the playgrounds there were some parents there with their children. Do you think it's wise that parents bring their children out since the CMCO uh, order was given? Well, there have been certain numbers uh, reported for children less than uh, 12 years of age. I think it's about 300 cases uh, in uh, children below 12 in Malaysia. We do need to be careful and take precautions. For example, um, you know, when we get home, we have to have a bath, sanitize our hands or wash our hands. However, in our context and in many other countries in the world, parents may not have a choice. Consider a single parent or when one parent is working and the other needs to shop for groceries. Consider the fact that we don't have online grocery shopping in every city and town. Tesco, for example, in Alostar doesn't provide online shopping. So parents sometimes, when they go out to carry out their uh, normal, uh, you know, the required activities, they may require their children to accompany them. As far as going to playgrounds and all is concerned, well, that is debatable. But generally, they should avoid crowded areas and there shouldn't be any um, collection of children at one particular place. So they have to be careful about all those things. Yeah, because it's unnecessary exposure at the end of the day. As we all know, Ramadan has just ended and it's uh, already um, Raya Eid, which it's called in other countries. How did the fasting month um, have an impact on frontliners? 
Well, we functioned as usual. Our duties come first, especially as most departments have alternate teams on duty, uh, as I mentioned, as a precautionary measure. So we don't have a, a large number of staff that we can uh, get people some extra time off. But I think uh, most people handle the thing very stoically and carried on with their normal work. That's uh, very reassuring to hear. Do you think frontliners deserve all the credit for aiding this pandemic? <laughs> well, credit, yes. All, no. Much has depended on the public and each individual playing his or her part. Yes, there have been people behaving irresponsibly, but this will happen everywhere. And by and large, Malaysians have been a responsible lot. A lot. During the MCO, for example, figures show that more than 90% strictly complied with the requirements. So all of us can take some credit. However, it cannot be denied that despite being in the danger zone, our frontliners have performed admirably and never shirked their duties. In fact, many have and still do continue putting themselves at unavoidable risk for the good of all. Can you give us some advice to adhere to during this pandemic? Well, basically, practice safe behavior such as washing hands, social distancing, avoiding crowded places, stay at home and self-isolate if you have minor symptoms, follow advice given by the Ministry of Health, stay aware, keep informed. But be careful not to be misinformed. Make sure the information you rely on comes from trusted sources. And above all, be patient and practice the new normal. We have yet to know what exactly the new normal is going to be, but it's something that we will have to learn as time goes on. Being patient is, a, is an especially important one to me because it's better to be patient than to be a patient. When viral symptoms underlie, there are home remedies to try. You find the one that works and snap, you're safe. And every product neat your sink might be a medicine to drink. No need for tests, the president suggests. Right, and then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection? Spoonful of Clorox makes your temperature go down. Your temperature go down. Temperature go down. Just a spoonful of Clorox makes your temperature go down. It's the latest COVID craze. Supposing we hit the body with whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. A politician. While I enjoyed the Randy Rainbow um, parody song, I feel that. It's quite dangerous because sometimes, if, for example, if kids are on the internet or if some people are just socially unaware or culturally unaware of, uh, or medically unaware, they might actually take the lyrics of the song literally and try it before they realize that it's a parody. Or if, in cases where they don't understand what a parody is, they might think that that is what you can do. But uh, if they watch the video pro properly, they can probably tell that it's, um, it's not supposed to be done. A lot of people in the world might not, so I think it's the dangerous. The next episode will be called Improvise 
adapt and overcome. This episode is going to how lives have changed because of COVID-19 and the changes that are necessary for us to make so that the transition period between this pandemic and going back to normal life will be as smooth as possible. This is probably the most important episode in the series and for those of you all who have made it this far in I suggest you stay tuned for next week's episode.